Yisro, who was the priest of Midian, right? Now, what kind of uh, honor is this? What kind of a uh, uh, greatness are we trying to attribute to Jethro, that he was a priest in Midian? In Midian. We will see, Rashi will say later on, it actually tells us that the greatness about uh, Jethro, that he was uh, a very uh, high-leveled priest in Midian, and he left it all. He left the other religions. Matter of fact, we'll see later on. Because that was before he married, Moses married the wife, right? Very good point. Okay, so that we're going to we're going to struggle with that a little bit. Okay, so he worked for Pharaoh too, right? Okay, so that Midrash that you're talking about, that he worked for Pharaoh, that's outside of the literal and the Rashi and the Chumash, that's already Midrash. And not to make it any less, but we try to concentrate over here on the Chumash, on the the literal and the simple meaning of the verses. But let's go back. Uh, Ron is bringing up something from before uh, to understand what's going on over here. Just a sequence of this story so we know we put things in place. Moses goes out, when he becomes older, he goes out and he sees his people. He goes out to the Jewish people and he sees that there is an Egyptian who was beating up on a Jewish, on a Hebrew, on a slave. He was beating up on him. He did terrible things to him. He did terrible things. He went into his house. He... uh, he abused this man's wife first, and then he later on and at work he went. He 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 did very very terrible things. So Moshe Rabbeinu saw. He took a stand. He actually killed this Egyptian by using the word, the name of of God. He killed him and he buried him in the sand. Moses thought that nobody saw him what he did, but it so happened that there were two Jewish people. Dasan and Aviram, Datan and Aviram, I don't know how they pronounce their names in English, but it's Dasan, Datan and Aviram, they witnessed what Moshe Rabbeinu did. The next day, Moses comes out, and these two guys, Datan and Aviram, are quarreling and fighting with each other. And one of them raises the hand to beat up on his friend. And Moses again mixes in, he takes a stand. Moses comes in and he says to the guy who's raising his hand, he screams at him, he says, Russia, evil man, why do you beat your friend? He took a stand. And Moses was only about 12, 13 years old. He was a young fellow then. And these people were grown-ups. And they said to uh, Moses, Who made you into a judge and a ruler uh, that you are coming and telling us what to do, what we could do, calling us evil or getting involved in our quarrels? Who made you to a man? You're just a child. Do you intend to kill us as you did to the Egyptian? They told him that they saw what he had done before. And that wasn't enough. Can you imagine? I mean, sometimes you know you wonder how people get so angry but <laughs> and if you just touch their their ego or you just, you know, look at them the wrong way or I mean, after all, what did Moses do? Moses was a youngster, okay. But he tried to defend one of them, right? He tried to defend, he got, he tried to take a stand over there. He wasn't 
doing something bad, he, he tried to, 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 to help him. But they were so angered that they went to Pharaoh, and Moses grew up in the house of Pharaoh, and he had privileges from Pharaoh. And they went and they slandered him, and they told Pharaoh that Moses had killed the Egyptian. When Pharaoh heard that, he wanted to go ahead and kill Moses. And miraculously, as we'll also see in this parsha later on, miraculous, miraculously, God made Moses' neck that it became like a marble, as Rashi says. And actually the sword couldn't chop his head off. He was just made, his neck was made like a, like a piece of marble. That's what Rashi says over here in this week's later on. A few times Rashi mentions that. But Moses was still afraid. So what did Moses do? So Moses goes and runs away to Midian. Because these people were after him. So he runs away from Egypt and he runs away to Midian. He comes to Midian. He comes to the well. We read in the Torah. And he sees that there were young girls shepherds seven of them and he sees that they're being chased and they were over there already the Torah says it was the Kohen Midian the priest of Midian now it's interesting it doesn't identify him over there right away with the name Yitro doesn't identify him it just calls him in the beginning it just says Kohen Midian the priest of Midian the Midian priest had seven daughters. And they went out to shepherd the sheep. They came to um, drink, uh, get their, uh, to uh, have their uh, sheep drink the water. The shepherds came, the other shepherds came and chased them away. Now, why did he chase them away? So Rashi explains that the same Yitro that we're talking about here now, the Kohen Midian, he was the priest of Midian, he had decided to separate himself from the idol <coughs> worships. And the people excommunicated him, want nothing to do with him. So when his daughters came around with the sheep, they chased him away because of the excommunication. They didn't want nothing to do, not with him and not with his children. So they chased him away. But again, Moshe Rabbeinu, Moses, he sees this, again he takes a stand. He takes a stand, and he says, he helps them. He helps them, he feeds, he gets the, the, the sheep to drink, the flock to drink, and then the girls go back home. And they come home unusually early, because usually they would, um, they would come home after a long struggle, after the shepherds would chase them away. There was a whole big fight over there until they can get some water for their sheep. But this time with Moses around, they were able to give them to drink, get them to drink right away. So when they come home, the father asks them, how come you came home so quickly today? Unusually fast. So they say, there was an Egyptian man who came who helped us. So then the father says to him, you know, uh, why don't you call him home? Why don't you call him home to us? Maybe he'll marry one of you. And he does bring him home. He, become his, he becomes his shepherd. 
and he actually marries his daughter Tzipora. Tzipora becomes Moses' wife. Now we're going to learn over there in the Pasuk, in the verse over there, just to fill you in, because this follows the story over here. So he marries Tzipora. She gives birth to him to one son first, which is named, she named him Ger Shom. And Rashi says over there, the Pasuk, the verse says over there as well, as we're going to read over here, I was a stranger in that land. So he calls him Ger Shom, like uh, there I was a stranger. And the Torah doesn't tell us about the second son. The only thing is that the Torah goes on in the, in the, in the, in the Bible, it goes on to tell you that later on Moses goes while he's shepherding he comes to the mountain of uh, the mountain, he sees the burning bush, God gives him the mission to go and take the Jews out of Egypt. Eventually, Moses comes back to his father-in-law to get permission that he wants to go to, to Egypt, back to Egypt to save his brothers, as God has sent him. And then we have the story that on the way, we only learned uh, explicitly about one son. But the Torah says... He took his wife and her two sons, or he says, and his sons. No, over no, there it doesn't say. Over here, there it says. Over here it says her sons, but over there it says uh, he took. Um, he took. Let's see here. In eighteen three, it's her sons. Um, no, it says his sons. His sons. Over there, no, it's interesting. Over here, we'll see that, that that's also another thing to, to pay attention to. We'll see in our verses, her sons. But there, there is something to it. Uh, but it says, over there it says, he took his wife and his, and his sons, in a plural. Not only that, that it says he took on his sons, his wives and his sons, and he, and he had them ride the donkey on his way to back to Egypt. But later on, there was a whole incident that an angel came on the, on the passway, uh, uh, angel comes and wants to kill, um, wants to kill Moses on the way, and you know in, in the verse it's not so clear exactly, but with Rashi's comments over there, what it turns out is that he didn't give a bris, he didn't give a circumcision to his son Eliezer, to the younger one, he didn't give him a bris. The reason he didn't give him a bris because apparently he was born right shortly when God tells him to go to back to Egypt, so he was probably going to give him the bris, the circumcision at the eighth day, as it was the uh, tradition from the time of Avram Avinu, to circumcise at the eighth day. So he was gone, but here he has a conflict, Rashi says, because he has to go on a trip, the baby could be in danger, because after the bris they won't be able to travel. So he didn't know what ways uh, over, should he, should he give the bris and delay God's mission, or should he do... God's mission, and of course he decides if God tells him to go now, he can't delay it, so he figured he'll delay the bris for later on, and but then when he comes to the uh, to the Molon, he comes to the inn over there, he stops and he's already close to Egypt, at that point he didn't give him the bris, it was already close, so he should have uh, at that point given the bris, so the angel wants to kill him for not giving the bris, but eventually it says that Tzipora, his wife, goes and she performs the circumcision, and she performs the circumcision, and she saves her husband, and uh, Moses is spared. That's what we read over there. Now, the point that I want to say is, we read already, at least in Karashi's comment, that the Kohen of Midian 
even though he's referred to as the Kohen of Midian, that he was the priest of Midian, but apparently he has dropped that service because the people excommunicated him. They were no longer with him because he has already started to uh, drift towards the Jewish people as later on he totally fully went there. But at this point already, so even though they call him the Kohen Midian, so I started to to say all this is because, and we'll understand now the verses better, the he was called the Kohen of Midian to tell us that notwithstanding the fact that he was the priest of Midian, and we're not talking about people that you know worship uh, just uh, stones and and wood or you know make idols, which is foolishness. But we're talking about people that do have a philosophy. You know, the Kohen Midian they had philosophies and they had ideas and there was ideals and there was a lot of you know uh, a lot of brains and a lot of thought that was put into it and it was worship. And by, for that matter, you know, any type of worship. It says about uh, Midian about uh, Yitro, about Jethro, that he hadn't left out even one uh, one idol worship that he hadn't experienced. So he actually was not just doing them, but he was very learned, and he was a very uh, spiritual person who trying out all different ways. And then eventually he brought him to Judaism. He realized that this God, that the God of the Hebrews is greater than all the gods. So, But he did experience, and he did learn, and he was a great, uh, you know, great in philosophy. So, the verse begins by telling you that Yitro, Yitro, he was the Kohen of Midian, he was the priest of Midian, and also it tells you that he was the Choten Moshe, meaning that he was Moses' father-in-law. Rashi points out over here that he took pride in the fact that Moses was his uh, father-in-law. He took pride in the fact. He says, oh, look at my father-in-law. Look at my son-in-law. He says, I am Moses' father-in-law. He took proud pride in the fact of being Moses' father-in-law. It was, Rashi points out, it was the other way around before. In the in, in Shemos, before Moses became such a big shot, because he, before he became the agent of God, over there, the verse calls him emphasizes the fact that he was the son-in-law. Over there, he was bragging, look at my father-in-law, Jethro, the Kohen Midian, he was like the, the big shot over then. But things switched around now. Now, instead of calling him the uh, son-in-law of, um, of, of, uh, of Jethro, we're actually saying that Jethro is now the father-in-law of him. He is bragging about, look at my son-in-law. So, the strange thing is, I want to just go back still. What was really his name? What was his name? Here we're calling him Jethro, right? It seems like very simple. But the truth of the matter is, it's very, very confusing. Because uh, when you look in the, in the verse, uh, in the verse, in, 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 if you look, for example, in, in verse 1, in chapter, um, uh, which is it, uh, chapter 3, chapter 3, verse 1, he calls him Jethro. He says, Moses was, you don't have it, but Moses was being the shepherd of the sheep of Jethro. There. But the strange thing is that um, 
in the beginning, when the Torah starts, uh, when the in the, starts telling you the story, it says the Kohen Midian. It doesn't call him a name. It just says the priest of Midian. It doesn't call him by a name. The funny thing is that it happens afterwards. It says. Vatavoyna, they came, the girls, after they were chased and they came home early that day because Moses protected them. Guess what it says? They came home to their father. Name him. What was his name? Jethro. Doesn't say Jethro. It calls him here Reuel. It says he came to Reuel. What's going on over here? So he calls him Reuel. Now, uh, now further, when later on. Eventually, when Moses is going back to um, when Moses is going back to Egypt, he has to go back to his father-in-law to get permission to leave because his father-in-law made up with him that he's not going to leave without permission. So it says he goes back to whom now? What name do we say over there? Over there it says he goes back to Yeter, his father-in-law. Now already just in that portion in Shemos. We already had three names over there. Actually, we had one description. We called him the Kohen Midian, the priest of Midian. We had one name, called him Ru'el. It was one name. We called him Yitro. It was called, he says he was the shepherd of his father-in-law Yitro. And then it says he returned to Yeter. So we have three names and one description right there. That was right in Shemos over there. In addition to that... When you look further on in the Chumash and in the and in the prophets later on, the father-in-law of Moshe is referred to uh, uh, with the name Hever, with the name Keni, with the name Putiel. It's all the same person. Yeah. And Chovov, all the same person. This guy had seven names. Rashi says the guy had seven names. Jethro had seven names. And there's a reason for having all the names. I mean, let alone, it's not confusing enough as it is, but every time they call him a different name. Now, a lot of times they call him a name, they say, Moses' father-in-law. Moses' father-in-law. Sometimes he's named Chovav, uh, his name. Sometimes he was named, like in this case, you know, Moses' father-in-law. Now, if Moses had married more than one wife, you would say, well, maybe it's a different father-in-law, maybe he had a different yeah. wife, or maybe he had a second wife, so maybe there was a couple of father-in-laws over there. But we don't know of any other wife. We only know, in, we only have a record in the Torah, it's only recorded that he married one woman, and he only had two children. He had uh, the son, he had uh, uh, Gershom and Eliezer, that's all he had. He didn't have any other children. So and we don't have, so we say that there are seven names. Rashi brings down right in the beginning, Rashi brings down that he was called that he had seven different names. Actually, the only name that Rashi isn't sure about, by six of the names, I believe, I didn't check all of them, but I believe by all six of the names, the name is always mentioned next to the word father-in-law. So there is really no question that it's actually his father-in-law that we're talking about the same person. But by, at least by most of the name it says father-in-law. Rashi debates only one name, the name of Reuel, Rashi debates, because the only way we know that his name, it says, right in the beginning it says, they came to their father, 
Reuel. Now, father, Rashi argues, can sometimes also mean grandfather. Because sometimes you call papa or you call the grandfather, you will say father. So when the verse says they came to their father over there, it doesn't mean father means grandfather. Although, in the flow of the verse, that's very, very difficult. Because he tells them, and then he stayed with the man, and it's all talking about the same man, and then that same person, he becomes a shepherd. It's, 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 it's stretching it to say otherwise than it was written. It's, it, his name was actually... But what's the difference? We had six or seven names, okay? Seventh is sort of questionable, but definitely Rashi says he had six names. So six or maybe seven. Again, I'm stressing this because in the verse itself, it would be... Besides the fact to call a grandfather father, even if we don't consider that a problem, let's say that, but still in the verse, it doesn't match up because there are no two people over there. There's only one person as when we read the storyline over there. But anyways, but Rashi says there was reasons why we called him these names. And Rashi gives us the reasons for several of them. The word... Yeter that we find already over there, and the word Yitro that we already find in the portion of Shemos, uh, Rashi says we have reasons for them. It almost seems that Reuel was his name. That's why we don't need a reason for that. But that was his name, according to Rashi, it seems. Rashi doesn't explain that. But Rashi goes right over and says, because, and that's the name that he was called first. So that seems to be the name that the Torah should use to him. And I just want to say, this demonstrates something very clearly. You know, sometimes people question the Torah's writing, you know, whether it meant... But you see, you can see vividly, I mean, nobody would write... I mean, the Torah didn't forget, God forbid, and wrote the word Reuel, the father, and in a verse later call him something else by accident. It, didn't, it, it, it doesn't make any sense, right? Nobody would say that. You see that there is a deliberate... Uh, point to be made from every change, and we need to learn every change. It doesn't mean that it makes sense to us, we understand. But these changes that take place are not changes like somebody has forgotten or he he got mixed up or God forbid, you know, like some people would try to say that the Torah is human and, and, and people just recorded it different and it's, you know, like the scholars who, who try to tell us these things about the Torah. Because you see clearly within the same verse, within three verses, there is changes over there. So if somebody was been writing it and trying to impress somebody, they wouldn't make those uh, omission and those mistakes and having you know, change the name in a verse or two later. Maybe in a section later, but not in a verse or two later. So, it's definitely by divine reason and explanation, and, and there's meaning. Rashi gives us an explanation for a few of the names. Rashi says the reason why he's called Yeter, because he had a very special privilege that not many people had, which is, Jetro had a privilege. Not only was Jetro a convert that came from the other side, and recognize God, but he actually made a major contribution, and he added a portion to the Torah. Yet there comes from the meaning of the word extra, addition. Jethro made an addition to the Torah. What addition to the Torah? We'll read, if we'll get to it today, we see that Jethro suggested 
that Moses should get help and assign and give up, divvy up the load work that he had all upon himself, that he should give it out and spread it out amongst other people so that other people will help him and carry the load together with him. So he brought in that whole section of the Torah, he brought it in. So his name was named Yeter because of that special privilege that he had. Further, in addition to the name Yeter, we also added a Vav, an additional letter Vav to his name. Uh, And that became when he converted. As a sign of his conversion, when he did convert, they took his name Yeter and they added a Vav to it, an extra Vav. It almost seems like, now, when exactly or how the process exactly worked, that's also a little questionable. Now certainly, in the portion of, of, she, of Shemot I mentioned before, Rashi quotes over there that he already separated from the idol worship. But it doesn't seem like he converted yet over there at that point. It doesn't seem that he joined the Jewish people yet at that point. It just says that he separated from the idols. When he came and joined them now in the desert, that's when it happened. Now, when exactly did he come? That's also open to debate. We're going to discuss exactly when Jethro came to join the Jewish people. But if we follow in the order that we're reading right now, Jethro came shortly after the splitting of the sea, not about a month later, uh, the 15th, the Jews were journeying. We, we were talking about uh, somewhere like five or six weeks after, uh, after the exodus of Egypt, about a week or two before the giving of the Torah. So somewhere in between, there was like a... Uh, there were seven weeks from the day they left Egypt till they received the Torah. There were seven weeks in between, and we've gone through five weeks, and they've journeyed, you know, two stops. So somewhere in the sixth week over there is where Jethro, which it seems, according to the opinion that he came before Matan Torah, where it seems that he joined them over here. So it seems that first he was named Yeter. So the Yeter needed to be. Uh, when he added the portion of the Torah. That's what it seems like. Then the extra Vav, that he got the name Yitro, which was above the letter Yeter, uh, that was even a step further. Um, And while we're discussing this, it's a little bit out of order, and I'm telling you a lot of things, but I want to cover a little bit the Chumash too. But let's discuss this, because it's also important to understand the whole sequence and the uh, chronological order that took place over here. Um, we're going to see, and I'm going ahead of myself, I'm going to the next verse, I'm going to the next uh, portion, starting with Shani. We're going to see that Moses, after Jethro comes and visits Moses, and we're going to go back to what we're learning here now, but after he sees, the verse begins in the next portion of uh, Shani, it begins with the words, Vayhi Macharat. It was the next day. It was the next day. One would assume, what does it mean, the next day, Mimacharat, the next day? The next day would mean the day following the day that this occurrence took place. When Yitro first came, he greets Moses, and everybody says hello, and everybody uh, eats together, they bring the sacrifices, we'll learn at the end. The next day, we would learn, Vayhi Mimacharat. On the next day, it says that Moses goes out and he takes a look how Moshe Rabbeinu is behaving. And he sees this thing that the entire Jewish people is standing over Moses. Moses, one all by himself, is sitting. Everybody is standing over him. 
from the morning till night time. No rest, no break. There's just one continuous, strenuous effort on behalf of a single person of Moshe Rabbeinu. And there, and there, Jethro speaks to Moses. He says, Moshe, he says, you can't do it alone. Uh, you're going to get tired. The people are going to get tired. You must get some help. You must distribute the workload to other people. You can't just do it on your own. And Moses says, well, what can I do? He says, they're coming to me to listen to the word of God. I have to teach them the instruction, the statues, and the Torahs. I got to teach them all the laws. I got to teach them. Who's going to teach them if not me? So Jethro says, well, I have a suggestion. He says, why don't you consult God and see if he agrees to to my suggestion? He says, I have a plan. He says, if you follow this plan, I guess this is the first time we see about planning. You know, the whole Torah, there's no planning. There's no business plan, there's nothing. There's just everything works the last minute. You know, today, we need uh, a plan, and then we have a backup plan, and then we have insurance, and then we have, what if it doesn't work? Over here, there was no planning. They're facing the sea, what happens? You go, you jump, and the sea splits. There's no food to eat, what happens? God gives you the manna, just comes down. There's no water to drink, you split the rock, and there's water. And you only start worrying about it when you run out of the bread, or when you don't have water, then you say, where am I going to get it tomorrow, you know? This is the true lesson of faith. There was no, they were, everybody was faithful. Now here all of a sudden, Jethro coming in from the outside, he's telling, hey guys, Moses, you got to have a plan over here. <laughs> you can't just work, and work, and work, and no rest, and all by yourself, take care of 600,000 quarreling men from the age of 20, plus all their children, and their wives, and everybody else. You're going to get exhausted. This is impossible. There's no way you can do it. So you, what you got to do, you got to appoint leaders and appoint other people, find people who are reputable people. I mean, they put together some 72,000 reputable people. I think it's more than we can find today. You know, they found a lot of reputable people over there. I mean, and they had to have a pretty, uh, pretty strong reputation. I mean, to be chosen over there, you have to be rich, and you have to hate money at the same time. I don't know how... <laughs> you have to be rich, but so rich, you have to be rich so that you don't have to, um, you know, uh, kiss up to anybody, you know, you don't have to uh, look, uh, you know, for favors, you don't owe anybody any favors, uh, you're independent, you know, you have to be uh, God-fearing, uh, you have to be, you know, honest, a man of, of, of words that they can be trusted, you know, as we'll, we'll see, there's a qualification. But in any event, he comes up with this plan. But it's, when was this plan said? So it says, Vayihi mi This was the day after. So the question is, the day after, seems the day after he came. But there's a big Rashi that explains that it's impossible to say that. Because, just to get you a little bit more maybe confused or unconfused, the Jews left Egypt, they journeyed for seven weeks till they got the Torah, now when they got the Torah, Moses went up on the mountain for 40 days. On his way down, he sees the Jews made the golden calf. He breaks the tablets that he just got, right? He goes up back the next day. So that's 40 days there. He goes back up the next day. And he prays to God for another 40 days to forgive the Jewish people for the grave sin that they did. God says to him, okay, I've forgiven. I'll go come back up again. 
He spends another 40 days, and finally he comes down on Yom Kippur. Because on Yom Kippur, God said, I've forgiven as you have asked me. I'm sorry, so is that 120 days? 120 days. So 40 plus 80. I mean, the Rosh says 40, 40, and 40. 120 days. If you calculate from Shavuot till Yom Kippur, you have 120 days. Approximately with the days, full months, apart month, but it's it's just about, okay? So it's 120 days. Those were the 120 days. So, now, Rashi argues and says, if Moshe Rabbeinu is telling uh, Jethro, when Jethro is saying, why are you doing this? So Moses says to him, but I have to teach them the laws of God. What kind of laws of God? The laws of God were only given by Yom Kippur when he first came down with the tablets. God taught him the whole Torah and gave him the tablets while he was up there. He wasn't even down. He was spending 120 days with the mountain. He just came down in between for one day over there and went up the next morning. So he wasn't even around to, to, to teach or to do or to be with any of the people. So what does it mean that on the next day there were no Torah over there to teach them? <coughs> now, one could argue, because we did have in the Mora, we did have before, they did have some learning and some Torah Hashem gave them already before. But Rashi doesn't accept that. Rashi says, because in the verse it seems, I'm teaching them the statutes and the laws, it wasn't just some Torah, it was meant all the laws of the Torah. So, what is the meaning, it was the next day? What is it meaning? And it was Mimacharat, it was the next day. So Rashi says, we have to sort of separate. And Mimacharat doesn't mean the next day after his coming over here, what we're learning here. Mimacharat means it was after Yom Kippur. After Moses came down, and the next day, once Moses came down, he started judging the people from the morning till the night time. We can just expect that after the 120 days without Moses, they collected a lot of uh, a lot of stuff to verify to figure out. So they were all, but they're all coming. You know, 600,000 men. You know, they're all coming, and plus the others. You know, so they're coming to Moses. All of them, all of them together. But in any event. Moses is teaching them the Torah. He has to teach them the Torah that God has given them. So he said, so when it says in the next verse, it came the next day, there was a whole gap in between. What is the gap that we're talking about? We're talking about a gap. This story, at least according to one opinion, and that seems to be the literal uh, way to read it. Jethro came, as we're going to learn, the reason why he came, he heard about the splitting of the sea, he heard about the war Amalek, how the Jews were victorious, he got inspired, and he came down to the desert. That happened before Matan Torah, yes. Then Jethro seemingly spent with them all this time, starting from, we're talking about the month of Iyar, the second month, he was with them the entire summer, through Yom Kippur, while Moses was up on the mountain. After Yom Kippur, Moses tells, um, uh, after Yom Kippur, Jethro tells Moses, you know, about this, uh, how could you handle it alone? Moses tells him, I have to take care of all the laws. He suggested that to bring in more people, they implement the plan. Okay, so that's, that's one thing. Now, the problem that we have here is 
we have one more thing that we have to deal with. Because, and Rashi points to that also. Rashi says, at the end of our story over here, at the end of tomorrow's portion, we say that he implemented the plan, and then Moses says goodbye, he sends his father-in-law away. He says goodbye to him. Well, father wants to go away. What? He doesn't send him away, his father wants to leave. Well, maybe your Chumash says that his father-in-law wants to go away, but in my Chumash it says, well, no, that may be true, but in the verse it says, it just says in verse 27, it says, Moses sent his father-in-law away and he went to his... To his before that he tells him this, why are you leaving? From Rashi says, why Yeah, you well, very good, yeah, you're right also. But that's not in this verse. In Bamidbar, that's already talking about a year after they left Egypt, later on, over there we find again a discussion between Moses and, and, and Jethro. Where Moses says to Jethro, don't leave us, and he says, I'm leaving. So Rashi says like this, this is what Rashi is saying over here, what you're talking about, Ron. Rashi, we don't find Jethro coming a second time. So Rashi says... Rashi says that that's another evidence that all this took place later. Because if this whole story took place like the day after he told them, and then they did, this was all before the Torah was given, so then he sent them away. It says in the end of this verse, he sent them away. So if he sent them away right then and there, so how do we find them again? A year later, in, 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 in the Chumash later on, Jethro discussion between Moses and Jethro. He was already gone. And Rashi says, clearly, we don't find him coming back a second time. So this is the one time that he left. Therefore, again, that proves, Rashi proves from this, that this whole second section, starting from the next day, this all took place after Yom Kippur, after six months later, after all this, that's when Jethro sends him away, and that's when he goes to, and that's when he tells him what to do, and later on he sends him away much later. That took place later. It didn't take place right here. This is what Rashi says over here. Why am I saying this also? And now we're going to learn inside. Hopefully we can make sense of all this. Okay? So, the only thing is, uh, I know, I see that the the Rebbe makes an emphasis in the Chumash, you'll see in the Gutnik Chumash, the Rebbe makes an emphasis, he says, that here actually it says he sent them away, that Jitro didn't want to go away. I mean, I don't understand exactly how to fit it in with this Rashi, because Rashi, it seems that there was no two going away, that didn't happen separately. Rashi, says Rashi on the spot in there says he sent them away to convert the, his people. That's right. But it doesn't say that's right. But it doesn't say he sent the, yeah he sent them away to go convert his people to go back home to convert the people there. But Rashi says by us over here we don't find them ever coming back. So it's really one going. So when he says that he didn't want to go, it's Mashmah. It's the one at the same time that he was sending him away. The Rebbe says that he sent him uh, away like almost he pushed him away, but. Over there we see that um, he didn't want him to go. Over here it says that he sent him away to go convert his people. 
it seems like it's two separate, it's one thing, but that's a separate thing. Let's go now back. Why don't you, Dave, start reading for me the Rashi, the Chumash, again, and then we'll see if we can make sense of everything that we just said over here. Start the, you want to do the, in the English over here? Do it again. Do it again, the first verse. Now Moses' father-in-law Jethro, the chieftain of Midian, heard all that God had done for Moses and for Israel, his people, that the Lord had taken Israel out of Egypt. So Moses is Moses part of the uh, is Moses part of the Jewish people or is he separate? What do you think? Talking? I'm asking you. Oh, um, is Moses part of the Jewish people or is he separate? I don't. Think, I think he's separate. Well, in this verse, look what you're saying here. He's chosen to go down and talk to them. But it says he says he saw everything that God has done to Moses, Moses and Israel. and to the Jewish people and to the Israel, right? Why is 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 why is, is, is Moses why is Moses well, part of Israel? Them. Yeah, all Israel, Moses included. And Rashi points out that Moses was so important that he was equal to all of Israel. He is singled out. Yeah, he went and asked for forgiveness without making it all the way back down past the scene at the idol. He just dropped what he was doing and went back. So they really didn't atone. He did, and then went back. After you got him out. That's that's true too. But I'm saying, as far as his merit and his greatness, Moses was equal to the entire. That's why the verse tells us Moses and Israel separately, right? Okay. And he tells them everything that they did. Okay, now do verse 2, do the second verse. So Moses' father-in-law Jethro took Zipporah, Moses' wife, after she had been sent away. Now tell me, what is this meaning, after she has been sent away? I don't know. Okay, so let me tell you, I'll fill you in the blanks over here. What does it mean she has been sent away? Remember I told you the story that when, when, when Mo- Moses was going back to Egypt... He took his two sons, his wife and his two sons, with him. He went for his father-in-law, asked him permission. He took his wife and his two sons is going to Egypt. Now when he comes there, Aaron comes to greet him on his way back, on the, on, when Moses is coming. And Aaron asks Moses, who are these people over here? He said, well, that's my wife, and those are my two kids. He says, look, we have enough problem in Egypt with the Hebrews that are there already. Are you coming to bring more Hebrews into the problem? Go back home. So that's what means after she was sent away. Because at that point, Moses sent her back because Aaron told them, don't come to Egypt because Egypt has enough Jewish children and enough Jewish people that are having trouble. We don't need you to come there. So you just go back. That means Achar Shiluchel. He sent her back. There's like five million people there, right? Right. The two more kids are going to make a difference. But why should the two more kids be make a difference? Why should they be in trouble like the rest of them? If they're not they're not in trouble, they should be free. They shouldn't be uh, having anything to them. You know, there's a you, you know there's a you know there's a parable, a very interesting parable that touches upon this. Uh, precise point that you're saying over here is the parable about that there was once a fellow who was walking along the seashore and he sees that as a big wave came and washed ashore like these millions and millions of these starfish and you know as the sun was drying them out uh, they started to dry out and die one by one 
and this older fellow was walking by and he was taking the fish and throwing them back into the water well, millions and millions of them and he's throwing so a guy walks by and says to him he says what are you doing he says look these fish are dying over here and this way I'm giving them their life he says look there's millions of them what difference are you going to make you can't make a difference he says to the fish that is going to make it back into the water I'm certainly going to make a difference I can't make a difference to the all the fish that are on the shore, but the one that gets back to his life, you know, make a difference. You know, that basically says, maybe we feel that we can't change the whole world and we can't do it all, and what difference does it make? But every little bit that we can do, we can help. He didn't want to, he didn't want to endanger these two, these two children. Warren, your turn. Three. Yeah. And her two sons, one of whom was named Gershom, because he, Moses, said, I was a stranger in a foreign land, and one whose name uh, was named Eleazar, because Moses said, the God of my father came to my aid and rescued me from Pharaoh's sword. You remember when he uh, rescued him from Pharaoh's sword? What happened? His neck became uh, like stone. That's right. When, why, why did Pharaoh want to kill him? Because he, he, he killed the Egyptian. That's right. So Hashem made the miracle and his stone. That, that's what it means. God saved me from Pharaoh's stone. Esther, your turn. So what was the name Eliezer? Does that mean... Like- Eli means my God. Ezer, my helper. Oh. God has helped me. Eliezer. That means the name Eliezer means. God is my... Kaylee, like God. Ezer is help. Okay? Now Esther? Moses' father-in-law Jethro and his Moses' son... And his wife came to Moses to the desert where he was encamped, to the mountain of God. And he said to Moses, I, Jethro, your father-in-law, am coming to you, and so is your wife and her two sons with her. Now, why is he uh, he's saying, look, he's saying like this, I, your father-in-law, Yitro, are coming to you. That's one sentence. Then he's saying, and your wife and her two sons. Why doesn't he just say, your family, we're coming to you. What is he saying? What is he articulating each one? Ah, your father-in-law. Just sent her away like two, two, three lines ago. That was years ago. She was sent away, and now they're coming back. That's why they're coming together with with Jethro. Because at that point, when he was first going down, you know that you know how long ago that was. Well. If we're going to assume, I'm going to tell you approximates, but I'm going to tell you. If we're going to assume that Moses was about 12, 13 when he killed, 12 years, 13 years old when he killed that, e, that Egyptian, and that's about when they sent him to, uh, wanted to kill him, approximately, right? And that's when he had to run away. That's when he meets Zipporah, and that's when he gets married, right? And so he got married, he was about 13, 14, or 13, whatever, you know, I don't know. So you, uh, you get give and take a year, okay? Now he gets married, and then God gives him the uh, mission, right? And then he has to leave, he has a child, a second child, and he has to leave them behind. Now Moses was 80 years old when he took the Jews out of Egypt. So that means there was like 68 years. 65 years, if you want, 66 years. Well, not from when he sent him away, because it's only when he went back, when Moses went back to Egypt. To the how long did, so how well, long? That's just the plagues in there, right? That's a couple okay. of years. Yeah, okay, when, yeah, I don't, well, yeah, you're right, you're right. I don't know exactly, uh, I don't know exactly how many years 
Moses spent uh, spent in in Midian before he yeah. went for. Well, then, but then he's with his wife. What? He's with his wife then. Yeah, yeah, you're there. right. You're absolutely right. No, no, my my calculation was 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 wrong. So what you're saying is that the vision that he had at the at the burning bush that took place many years uh, many years later because when he went to he was for many years in, in Midian. Yeah, you're right. You know, I take that back. That, that, that is correct. Okay. So, but in any event, ra- the way Rashi understands it, Rashi says, he's telling him like this, Are you father-in-law coming? Maybe out of respect for me, you should come out to greet me. And if you don't respect me, maybe come out because your wife. Maybe not for your father-in-law. Maybe out of respect for your wife. But then he said, if you don't respect your wife, uh-oh. He says, at least come out for her two children. Now, I guess that's a little strange. You know, a person doesn't, will not come out to respect his wife, but will come out for her children. I mean, that, you know, I guess by today's standard, that wouldn't be too, uh, too acceptable. Um, but also, the language here, and her two children. Um, now, before you, we, we mentioned, it says he had his two children right here. It says her two children. Maybe, maybe Jethro wasn't certain. Maybe wasn't sure whether he may have had other children in the meantime. Maybe he married somebody else. Uh, that's why he, you know before it was his only children. Maybe when 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 Jethro is talking, he's talking about two of her children from you, basically. But maybe there's other children. And I don't know exactly why. But anyways, Ellen, do the next uh, next verse. So, uh, so Moses went toward Jethro, prostrated, prostrated himself, and kissed him. And they greeted one another, and they entered the tent. Now, um, this was a very, very honorable time, Rashi says, for Jethro. Because Moses came out to greet him, and when Moses came, Aaron came. And then all the Jewish people and the sons of Aaron, and he was given a tremendous honor. Jethro was given this tremendous honor. And uh, according to Rashi, it was Moses that did the prostrating, and it's Moses that did the kissing, and it's Moses that did the most of the greeting. It seems like Moses was the one, the initiator. He was sort of reaching out to, uh, to Jethro, who was coming. Do one more verse, Ellen. Moses told his father-in-law about all, the, all that the Lord had done to Pharaoh and the Egyptians on the account of Israel, and about the hardships that had befallen them on the way, and that the Lord had saved them. Now, what do you think Moshe was telling all this stuff to his father-in-law for? What was the purpose of telling him all about this, this what took place? Ellen, do you have any suggestions? Oh, yeah, why would, why would he tell him? So he knew what he was doing. He was trying to bring him closer to right. Judaism. Oh, he know. wanted to draw him close. He was trying to tell him. Now, of course... Because his father-in-law he, was questioning him. So I, I took it as that his father in, he's telling his father-in-law all this so his father-in-law would no longer question what he was doing and what he, when he was away. While he was away. Yeah, but um, yeah, that, that, that may be true. But the it's fact like that the, the Torah the Torah writes, he was doing what they call today kiruv, you know, uh, kiruv outreach work. Uh, Moses was like doing outreach work. He was trying to bring uh, trying to bring uh, Jethro closer to 
give him a, a taste, a feeling for Yiddishkeit, you know? But to me, it seems like Jethro didn't trust his son-in-law. Because, like, when he comes to me, and you and your, your, your son and your wife, it just didn't seem like he understood him or trusted him till Moses invites him in the tent, you know, and treats him warmly and friendly. Yeah, that you're, 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 you're absolutely right. But knowing the relationship sometimes of a son-in-law and a father-in-law, or a mother-in-law and a daughter-in-law, you know, sometimes not always is that relationship a uh, very kind one, you know. So I guess uh, Jethro was feeling his way with Moses, not knowing how Moses felt about him. And uh, um, we're not going to start with the mother-in-law jokes, but, uh, but you know, um, there, is, um, there is something about... Uh, uh, you know, uh, father-in-laws uh, thinking that uh, you know their son-in-laws took away their their, their daughters, or uh, or the other way around, mother-in-law thinking that their son-in-laws have taken away their daughters. Uh, so there's always that uh, sort of a sense, and maybe that's why he was sort of inching his way by saying, uh, you know, this, this, or the other thing. But but still, he um, he um, he tried to. Rashi says he tried to. Um, to bring, he told them all. Basically, he told them all the good stuff. He didn't tell them about the problems he had with Jewish people. <laughs> <laughs> he didn't tell them that the Jews that he said, "Oh, in the previous parsha, we didn't know they're just a little bit. They're going to stone me. The Jewish people. They're <laughs> they're just about to, and they're quarreling, and they're uh, uh, keeping on and bringing on everybody, fighting against motion. He didn't tell them about that stuff. He just told them." Only the nice stuff, only the good stuff, only the miracles, and only the, the beautiful stuff. Ron, your turn. Jethro was happy about all the good that the Lord had done for Israel, that he had rescued them from the hands of the Egyptians. Do you know the Hebrew word for Jethro was uh, thankful? Can you read the Hebrew word for it? Vayichad. Now, Vayichad can also mean like goosebumps. Rashi says a very interesting comment over here. Rashi says that although Jethro was very um, happy to be part of the Jewish people, but he still, when he heard all the destruction, he still got goosebumps. It still bothered him a little bit. He was still uncomfortable. He was still... And Rashi brings a saying that you, you must not, in front of a, of a convert, you must not degrade the former people because it still pains them. You should still be respectful in their presence, not to say, and Rashi says from here, although Jethro was uh, fully committed to the Jewish people, still it was wrong, or he still got the, let's say wrong, he still got the goosebumps from all the uh, uh, stories and all the tales of the destruction that was caused to the others. Two, one more verse. Thereupon Jethro said, Blessed is the Lord who has rescued you from the hands of the Egyptians and from the hands of Paro who has rescued the people from beneath the hand of the Egyptians. Now, I'm going to ask you the same question I asked you before. I asked it in a similar way. It says, God rescued you from Egypt and from Pharaoh. What Isn't Pharaoh part of Egypt? Yeah. Isn't it part of Egypt? But you know what? They're each one, just like over there we say, Moshe is equal to all the Jewish people. Pharaoh is also as evil, just like almost all the Egyptians together. Well, so it's a big game because God kept Pharaoh hardening Pyro's heart, not the Egyptians. Yeah, well, the but... The Egyptians wanted to let the Jews go. Was yeah, but, yeah, but, okay, but, you know what? They couldn't do anything against Pyro also. So, 
what you're saying is, you know, and we also find God is always giving Pharaoh separately. He's, as the verse said many times, he started it, he got beaten first. You know, he was leading it, so he got beaten first. So it was well, Pharaoh. He's be the one that survived, so. For, yeah, for the greater picture. Okay, so Sarah, why don't you finish this off with the next two verses? Now, <clears throat> now I know that the Lord is greater than all the deities, for with the thing that they plotted, he came upon them. Now, it's, now if you notice the verse, go, now I know, you know, I knew before, but now I know really that God is greater than all the deities. That means that he had worshipped and he had experienced all the deities. And he said, because in the thing that they have plotted, they wanted to destroy the Jewish people by water, by drowning their children in the water, they got drowned in the water too. Okay, you base, 12th verse. And Moses' father-in-law, Jethro, sacrificed burnt offerings and peace offerings to God. And Aaron and all the elders of Israel came to dine with Moses' father-in-law before God. Who's missing? You know that they have? What's missing this Pasuk, this verse? Say it again, say it slowly. Then Moses' father-in-law, Jethro, sacrificed burnt offerings and peace offerings to God, and Aaron and all the elders of Israel came to dine with Moses' father-in-law before God. So Moses. 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 Where's Moses? Where's Moses in all this? <laughs> he was the star. So he says they all came to dine. Where was Moses? Rashi explains that Moses was actually serving all of them. He wasn't dining. I mean, he was standing there. They came to his tent. He was the host. Being the host, he was busy preparing and doing, and so we say everybody else came in, and Moses was was taking care of them, and um, this was a very special meal because there were the elders of Israel. Rashi says the seventy elders, uh, and then uh, um, the um, uh, it was a uh, gathering of of righteous people, and um, that's why it's called before God because. Being in that environment was a very, very powerful environment. Okay, so we'll leave it over here. Uh, next week, any other day that we can do it? Fine. Any, uh, anybody other day that you can come? It's like, uh, does Monday night work? No. Does Wednesday night work? Yes. Ron, does Wednesday night work? Maybe. Just go do the others. My schedule's probably always up to you. Okay. We'll do it Wednesday night. Next week, Wednesday night, okay? Next week, we'll do it Wednesday night instead of Tuesday night. Okay, thank you everybody for coming. Yes. You enjoy? I'm just telling you.